Lead to Win is brought to you by Leaderbox, a monthly reading experience curated by leaders for leaders. Learn more at leaderbox.com. If air is all around us, why can't you see it? And if you can't see air, why can you feel it? To get technical about it, you really can't see anything. What you see is the light that bounces off of it or is refracted by it. That's why the sky appears to be blue. Light is scattered in all directions by the molecules of air. Blue light is scattered more than other colors because it travels in shorter, smaller waves. This is why we see a blue sky most of the time. You're not seeing the sky. You see the blue light passing through it. So you don't see the coffee table in your living room. You see the light reflected off the wood, which makes it appear brown or tan or gray. And since there's no light at night, you can't see the coffee table with the lights off. But it has mass. You can feel it, even in the dark when you stub your toe. Nearer to Earth, we can't see the air because light simply passes through it. Though it enriches our bodies with oxygen, regulates the Earth's temperature, and deflects the harmful rays of the sun and exists all around us, air is completely invisible. But air has mass. There are more than 26 billion billion molecules in one liter of air. And when they move, you feel them passing over your skin. And you can see the effects of the air, whether that's a gentle breeze blowing away the clouds or hurricane force wind ripping the siding off your house. As a leader, you should learn this lesson well, because the culture of your organization, like the air you breathe, is completely invisible. Yet it regulates every aspect of your team's experience and performance. Culture is the ether in which you live and work. It's the unseen, ambient element in which you communicate and relate to one another. Your words and actions pass through it every day. It transmits and refracts your organizational values. You can't see culture, but you can sure feel it. And you can see its effects. A healthy culture brings good communication cooperation, and positive attitudes. A destructive culture carries hyper-competitiveness, passive aggression, and complaining. Air contains 78% oxygen, 21% nitrogen, and a tiny bit of argon and carbon dioxide. The oxygen, of course, is what we depend on. It burns the sugar in our cells to give us energy. Oxygen fuels performance. So as a leader, here's a question for you. What's in the atmosphere of your organizational culture? What elements does your team breathe in, day in and day out? And which of those elements are most necessary to keep your team healthy, engaged, and highly productive? Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence. And in this episode, we're talking about corporate culture, and we'll show you how you can create a high-performance environment in your organization, no matter the size. Yeah, all of us want to motivate our team to achieve at a higher level, but sometimes the atmosphere around us works against us. Today, we'll show you how some leaders unwittingly allow a toxic culture to derail their team's success, and we'll show you how to create a healthy, functioning work environment by incorporating three key characteristics of a great culture. When we're done, you'll have the tools you need to create an environment where your team can thrive. 
Hey, but before we get started, can I ask you a small favor? We'd love it if you would take just a minute to review this program wherever you listen to podcasts. That will really help others just like you discover the program so that they can enjoy the content too. To make it really easy, we've actually created a page that gives you simple instructions to do this very quickly. All you have to do is go to michaelhyatt.com slash review it. Again, that's michaelhyatt.com slash review it. All right, let's get started. Dad, you know, I love this topic because I put a lot of energy into building the culture as well as you have too at Michael Hyatt and Company. But I can imagine that a lot of our listeners are saying, what? You know, as leaders, we're so task-oriented so often that the concept of corporate culture can seem a little squishy like adding massage chairs to the break room, you know? <laughs> which is not a bad idea, by the uh, way. Which is not a bad idea. I like that. Put the, Somebody put that on the list. Um, but it might even seem like a luxury. We're thinking, hey, just suck it up and do your job, right? But the truth is culture is very important in every organization, more so than we really realize. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's vital. It shapes every aspect of our organization. And more importantly, my thesis is, is that it drives results. If you have a toxic corporate culture, it's going to impede your results. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, we're in business to produce results. We're in ministry even to produce results. Mm -hmm. Whatever we're doing, we're there to accomplish something. And the culture can either aid in that or it can keep us from accomplishing it. So culture really, and I think it's important to to, to define this. We talked about it a little bit at the beginning about it being like error. But it's the unseen environment around us, and it's largely invisible to us. It's almost like fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the fish can't see the water. <laughs> they're not a ve- they're not aware that they're in the water until right. they get yanked out of the water. And then, a, holy smoke, you know, there's something else besides the water. Well, I think sometimes it's that way for us. Yeah. You know, when you come into a company and you're brand new, you're very aware of the culture, right? But then you get acclimated and assimilated, and pretty soon you're not aware of it anymore. Right. Now, when you get taken out of it, you might miss what you had, or you might realize what a toll it was taken on you, and you're glad you're gone. But that culture thing is real, just like air. We can't live without it. It's impossible to have an organization without it. The only question is not whether you're going to have culture, but whether it's going to be helpful in producing the results you want or not helpful. Right. And what we're really talking about today is that leaders have the ability to shape culture. Like this is not something that you either experience positively or negatively. That's true for your team. But as a leader, you have the chance to shape this um, and it, it can be good or bad. Yeah, it can. And I, th- and I think a lot of leaders aren't aware of this. They just kind of think of culture as something it either is or it isn't. I've, I've even heard leaders complain about their culture. Right. You know, as though they had no control or no uh, agency in, in, in the matter. But the truth is, and I love this quote from Larry Bossidy, which we'll probably get into later on, but uh, is that if you want to change the culture of an organization, all you have to do is change the behavior of its leaders. Right. Because it flows down. Yeah. And I, I want to give a little bit of a caution here too, because I think it's easy for us if we're in the middle of an organization, you know, not the CEO mm-hmm. or not the COO, to just say, well, I can't affect culture. Right? Right. You know, you think uh, that's the CEO's job or that's the executive team's job, but that's not my job. And in fact, I can't change it. And so people just passively sit and they complain about it. But the truth is, you can shape it. 
You can shape it below you. You can shape it around you. You may not be able to influence, you know, top management or the CEO, but you can definitely create sort of a, a micro environment. Yes. That uh, is a microculture within your organization, what you preside over. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. So, you know, a lot of people think when they think about leadership, they think vision is the most important thing, but that's not what you think. And tell me why. Well, not that it's unimportant. I don't mean that. Yeah, but. I'm not sure I would say that. Let me explain why. I, I think culture does trump vision. Mm-hmm. Because you can have all these grandiose ideas, this clarity about your vision, but if you don't attend to the culture, guess what's going to happen? The culture is going to be like the undertow of a current, and it's going to drag you back to sea. Mm-hmm. And so you got to look at the culture and say, okay, I've got the vision. That's awesome. And you right. got to have a vision. But more importantly, you got to have a vision for your culture. Right. So the culture has got to change so that it serves your bigger vision of what you're in business or what your organization is is, uh, all about. When you were talking, I was just thinking about how vision is all about strategy and like the really the big picture, but culture is what enables you to execute. Definitely. And you can have the the most compelling vision ever, but if you don't have healthy culture and um, a productive culture in your organization, you'll never be able to execute against the vision or the strategy that you've laid out as the leader. So, and I think that's where a lot of leaders struggle is with execution and getting their teams to execute. So um, this is kind of like where the rubber meets the road uh, in leadership and in driving results. Yeah. So I would encourage people listening to this, don't tune out because you think this is a soft subject, you know, culture. This is integral to you accomplishing your biggest results. So I love this quote by Simon Sinek that says, customers will never love a company until the employees love it first. Love that. Well, and here's how I look at the hierarchy. My job as the CEO, take care of my uh, my employees first, Mm -hmm. my team first. They come first. If I take care of them, guess what? They will take care of the customers. It's kind of like a trickle down thing. It like is. It'll it'll flow all the way down to the customers and to your results, but you can't bypass your team. That's right. So I take care of the team. The team takes care of the customers, and then what happens? Then the customers take care of the company. Yep. And it's contrary to how we normally think about it, but that's the cycle, and that's how it needs to kind work. Kind of self reinforcing. Yep. So we know that culture is hugely important to the success of any team, and you've identified three elements of a great team culture. So let's get started with the first one now. Okay. Element number one, high relationship. The workplace is a social environment. I mean, if there's one thing we need to remember is that we're not robots. We are social (laughs) beings. And the way that we interact with each other contribute to our happiness and our effectiveness, both on the job and off. Mm -hmm. And so we all deal with relationships at work, even remote workers. And relational health makes for workplace health. You know, you're never going to be better than the quality of your relationships. And nothing is going to drive culture more than those relationships. So there was this Gallup study And it said, having a best friend at work is a powerful predictor of workplace engagement. I love that. I do too. And I mean, think about it. This is very counterintuitive for the kind of leader that, you know, fancies himself as rogue or a a lone wolf, or I'm going to do it by myself. You know, the, what mm-hmm. Jim Collins calls the genius and a thousand helpers. Mm-hmm. No, it's better when it's a collaborative affair. There was a two-year study at Google that concluded that psychological safety 
was the number one requirement of a healthy team. That is fascinating to me. Think about that. You know, and that's defined as being able to take risks without feeling insecure or embarrassed. So just a quick check here. At Michael Hyatt and Company, do you think we've provided this? I do. And I think we've been really intentional about doing it. Um, It's interesting because uh, probably as most of our listeners know, our team is primarily virtual. Everybody, for the most part, lives locally except a handful of people, but we don't work in the same office all the time, Um, which means that we have to be very intentional about not allowing our interactions with one another to become transactional. I think this can happen in any organization, Mm -hmm. um, you know, where your conversations with your coworkers are really about what you need and what they need from you. It just becomes kind of a back and forth. But especially if you have any degree of remote work, you have to be intentional about building that kind of relational glue um, that holds everybody together. So we have been very intentional about creating opportunities for connection, um, both inside kind of our virtual work environment and then in person when we get together on a quarterly basis. We have a team training coming up here in a couple weeks, and we're actually going to take everybody to a baseball game. You don't even know this because I haven't had time to tell you yet. This but, is the first time I'm hearing this. I, I love baseball. I what better time to go to a baseball game than early May, you know? But but it's not really about baseball because you and I aren't really that big of sports fans. It's just about doing something together and the fun of sitting in the stands with our team and cracking jokes jokes and talking about the game and all that. That's critical. That's glue for the organization and it will drive results. So all that to say, I think it's important to prioritize this. Well, I know in the past there have been some of our team members that have felt like they could bail out of some of that stuff. Yeah, not anymore. And and you must have fun. You kind of addressed that <laughs> this week. You know, we're we're forcing you're gonna have fun whether you like Mandatory it or not. Fun. <laughs> Six indicators of a healthy relational culture. So everyone on the team contributes but no one dominates. Oh, I like that. I love that. Uh, High levels of eye contact. Yeah. That's a very subtle thing. But when people aren't looking you in the eye, I mean, think about this with your kids. Totally. You know, they're either hurt, right? You've hurt them in some way. Right. Or they're hiding something. I I mean, there's nothing positive about that. Right. You know, and there may be past traumas and all that and, you know. Well, what's interesting to me about this as it relates to felt safety above is these are all cues to your primitive brain that you're safe. Yes. You know, when you make eye contact with someone, think about when you don't make eye contact as an adult with someone. It's because you don't feel safe or you feel threatened or you're angry at somebody, right? And so if you make eye contact, it's a subtle nonverbal cue to your primitive brain that says you're safe. Okay. I want to tell you a story. Okay. Early in my career, I got fired from a job. Was this the pizza job? No, I, I'm not going to give it away because it's... It, it, it's another it, one. <laughs> just early, it's another one. So I've been fired about three times, but I got fired from a job and I came back after a company function and I said to mom, Gail, my wife, I said, I think I'm in trouble. And she said, why? And I said, because the CEO wouldn't look me in the eye. Wow. And And I know that... You know, in my positions as a leader, when I've decided that I was going to let somebody go, yeah, very difficult to look them in the eye because I knew what was coming. Right. Right? And so this eye contact thing is important. But I want to get onto the other indicators too. So positive body language and gesturing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can't read, you know, 100% into this, but when people are kind of sitting back with their arms crossed, right. kind of with a scowl on their face. You know, that's not generally a good thing either. Right. I, I remember when I was in partnership with uh, Robert Walgamuth, whom you know well, he came to me one day and he just he just said, you know, he said, I really think you need to work on your face. 
And I said, what, like what have work done? Like, 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 like I was always, I was insecure about the way I looked anyway, but I mean, what do you mean get it work? And he said, he said, well, here's the thing. He said, you, you kind of look like you're always mad. Right. And I, I realized that. And I noticed that in other leaders too. And I think it's actually just, they're thinking intently. Like it's focus. Yeah. But it, but it communicates the wrong things. And I think as leaders, we have to be very aware of that. Yes. Okay, so here's another uh, indicator of healthy relational uh, culture. Intra-team communication. In other words, people don't feel compelled to pass everything through the leader. Right. There's collaboration that's happening. Yes. People are just getting stuff done. Yep. Uh, members share information with one another. Again, so they feel safe. They They're feel not safe. territorial. Now, now, when people are not sharing their contacts... Yeah. not sharing their information, then that's a sign of an unhealthy culture. Mm-hmm. And then respectful, polite interactions. Now, I want to I say here that we don't have to avoid disagreement. Right. In fact, I like to encourage debate. Sometimes I like to just throw a hand grenade in the middle of you know the discussion <laughs> just to spark that kind of debate because I, I really think the best thinking comes out of vigorous debate. Mm-hmm. But I want people to know that they can disagree with me. Right, they have to they, know they're safe for that. That's to right. They can disagree effective. with one another, and that and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, these are signs or or indicators of healthy relational culture. So the opposite of respectful, polite interaction would be like sarcasm, yes. cynicism, cynicism. Oh, all all of that, which is all kind of the same thing. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. We got to stop and talk about cynicism for a minute because this is a poison in your culture. This will kill your organization if you allow it to exist. Yep. And so the way that it looks is every time there's a new idea that's brought up, people roll their eyes. Mm-hmm. And and they're just cynical because it's like they've heard it before. They've heard the same speech from the CEO or the departmental leader about what we're going to do this year. And it never works out. And it's just like, right. oh, brother. And this is why it's important to counteract that, mm-hmm. that in your organization that you focus on wins and that you don't just make them up, but that you actually have wins right. so that people have confidence, not just in you as a leader, but in the team's ability to execute. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So cynicism, I'll tell you, when when I see it, I confront it. I had one very cynical leader in an organization I ran, and it was poisoning every conversation. Mm-hmm. He was the guy that was always muttering under his breath, but I could never quite hear what he was saying. But he was just kind of dissing whatever it was I was trying to communicate. And there'd be these side conversations and people laughing and because they weren't engaged, they were just, they were just cynical. And I finally just had to sit down with him and say, that's not going to work here. You know, you know, I I get why you might want to be cynical, but I don't really think you want to be a cynical person. Mm. Now, the sad part about it was he didn't change. I literally had to let him go over that. Before we go on, I talk to a lot of leaders who have the goal of reading more books each year. Maybe you do. We're now into the fifth month of the year, and I bet many of those leaders have already given up on this goal. I mean, it's easy to do. There's so much overwhelm with this goal. What books should you choose? How to get the most out of the books? When to find the time? That's exactly why we created Leaderbox. Leaderbox is a way to automate your professional development. It's a monthly curated reading experience for leaders. We created it for leaders who want to pursue professional development, but don't know what to read or don't have a plan to read consistently. In the box, we deliver two books every month, chosen by us to grow your leadership. We also provide an activation guide that delivers big ideas and asks powerful questions from each chapter. Also in there is a reading plan so you know exactly what to read each day to complete the book. 
That's right. We ensure you actually complete these books. On top of all this is our amazing Facebook community. I love this community because it's a great place to talk about the books and see what others are reading. It's like a giant reading club. So if you want to automate your professional development and read more books this year, get Leaderbox at Leaderbox.com. So the first element of a great team culture is that it's highly relational. What's number two on your list, Dad? Element number two, high candor. So this seems to be going against, you know, being relational, but it doesn't. In fact, it supports healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. When we're honest with one another, when we can speak the truth in love, that's a really positive thing. And again, it goes back to people feeling uh, safe with one another. But in an unhealthy culture, candor is discouraged. You know, we see this at the top levels of politics sometimes. You know, we see it in the top levels of corporations where people surround themselves with people who will never disagree with them. Here's the tragedy of that. As a leader, the more you advance in your career, the more successful you become, the more dependent you become on the people under you or that you're leading to give you information. That is so true. And if they're coloring that or skewing it because they don't want a volatile reaction from you, Mm -hmm. and you're just the messenger, right? They will start feeding you only good news. This is why our relationship works so well. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm always going to tell you the truth. Whether it's you've got something in your teeth, or I think your idea is not good. I mean, you're covered. (laughs) (laughs) But I love that. And, you know, and of course, I've got a family that does this too. I mean, uh, my wife does it, your sisters do it. You know, and and that's really healthy for me. It is. And we all need that. We all need that. Absolutely. But here's the important thing as a leader and what is your responsibility. You've got to create a culture that's safe for dissent. Mm-hmm. So if somebody disagrees with you, then you've got to welcome that and be curious. Because if you uh, just sort of attack that perspective and that people are going to retreat. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not going to disagree with you because politically, maybe even in terms of their career or maybe even their livelihood might be in jeopardy. Right. Right? Which means as a leader, you've really got to keep your ego in check. There cannot be any sacred cows. There can't be. And I, and I think when you blow it, and I have certainly blown it in the past, where I've overreacted or disagreed in a way that used my power in a way that maybe I was unaware of, but shut somebody else down mm-hmm. to have to go to them yeah. and- acknowledge it, and ask their forgiveness. Because if you don't do that, then the organization will shut down. And those stories always become bigger in retrospect than they are in the moment. I mean, you may think to yourself, so, well, I just I just disagreed with him. right? And from that perspective, the other person's perspective, they walk out of the meeting, go home and tell their spouse, they say, you would not believe, I mean, he yelled at me in the meeting. Right. Everything is magnified. Everything's right? magnified. He, you know, he shut me down in the meeting. You know, yep. well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm never going to bring that up again. Yeah. I mean, you're constantly training people how they're going to treat you. Yep. So you almost, you have to, I think it's important to articulate this as we want candor in the organization. Mm -hmm. I want you to feel the freedom to disagree with me. Then you better put that into practice because people will test you on it and they'll test you in little small things. Mm -hmm. And if you don't um, allow those things to stand and validate them and take them to heart, they won't get to the big hairy stuff that they see that you don't. Yeah. 
It's really true. It reminds me um, of that story in The Culture Code. I've been reading that book along with our Leaderbox subscribers. And he tells a story about the Navy SEALs and kind of their after-action review process and how um, one of the most important phrases that they um, kind of share is, I screwed up. You know, that that phrase is really important as for the leaders to be able to say, because it's important for their subordinates to be able to say. But it's one of those things that you will never admit as somebody on a team unless your leader's done it first, because you have to know that it's safe. And so it's right. really powerful for the leader to intentionally make him or herself vulnerable by admitting their mistakes yes. in a public way. And I think that's um, kind of what we're talking about here. Well, because you're teaching people how to do that as well. You know, if the leader's always deflecting, never taking responsibility, it teaches people to do the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. All right. So how do we develop an environment of candor either in our organization or on our team? Five ways. First of all, as a leader, admit your mistakes. I screwed up, right? That's right. Quit pretending that you've got it all together and you never make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I used to think as a young parent that if I admitted my mistakes to you girls, <laughs> that you would lose respect for me. And the truth is, it's exactly the opposite. Right. When somebody admits they were wrong, your respect goes up for them. Number two, communicate clear and specific expectations. This sets really the ground rules for cooperation and uh, makes it easy for people to play in a safe area because there's a fence around the conversation. Mm-hmm. Number three, model disagreement with questioning to show that you can discuss ideas without having to win. Fourth point here, consistently use after-action reviews so that critical examination is part of the culture. Now, this is a tool that we have, that we've developed, that we teach as part of Free to Focus, but it's basically something we learned from the U.S. military, Mm -hmm. which is that after an event, after a campaign, after a a meeting... After a big failure, for example. After a big failure, we go in and we assess it. And we talk about, you know, what are the things that we want to keep that we love? What are the things that we want to improve? What are the ways, things we want to stop doing? What are the things we want to start doing? Mm-hmm. So use that so that you can become more self-aware and self-reflective. And then finally, be honest, but not brutally honest. Mm-hmm. Okay? And and sometimes we, we have people that feel like unless they're brutally honest, they're not really being honest and they hurt people's feelings when they didn't need to. Right. The you point know, is like constructive feedback. Right. It should it should ultimately be building something, not tearing it down. That's not the point is to build, not tear down. Well, think of it as like an experienced nurse that's drawing your blood. <laughs> Versus the opposite. <laughs> yeah, the, the the opposite. I mean, you know, if you've got an experienced nurse, this just happened to me last week, so it's very present to me, but I went in and, and had my blood taken drawn and I didn't even feel the pin stick. Right. Right. And that's what you want to do. You want to you want to give people information that they can use in a way that doesn't create collateral damage. So, Dad, that reminds me of a quote from Paul Santagana, who is the uh, head of industry at Google. And he says that there is no team without trust. Yeah, I love that. And I think we could add that there is no team without truth, that right. those two really have to go together. Yeah, and there's no culture, not any, not a healthy culture without truth. Yep, right? absolutely. Okay, so we know that great teams are highly relational and that they also have a high candor environment. So what's the third element of a great team culture? Element number three is high purpose. Mm. As I've uh, said before, people lose their way when they lose their why, Mm -hmm. right? Jim Collins, author of Good to Great, said, it's very difficult to have a meaningful life without meaningful 
work. Hmm. And this is one of the big benefits, I think, of millennials in the workplace, because they've kind of brought us back to this. Yeah. You know, it's more than efficiency. It's more than results. All of that has to be sort of encapsulated in meaning. And by the way, just a shout out to the millennials. I hear people diss on the millennials all the time. We have awesome millennials at our company. We tr- we do. And and part of it's this very thing, mm-hmm. that they're very focused on Very purpose-driven. Yep. Mm-hmm. A 2015 study of millennials showed that purpose matters in employment. In fact, 56% had ruled out working for a company because of a lack of fit in values. In other words, they couldn't connect that company's purpose with their own sense of purpose. And this study shows a strong link between employees having a sense of purpose and job satisfaction, financial performance, and recruiting. Hmm. And by the way, that Google study that we mentioned earlier also found purpose essential for team success. Specifically, and I'm quoting here, meaning of work. Are we working on something that is personally important for each of us? And that's a great question to ask. And impact of work. Do we fundamentally believe that the work we're doing matters? Yeah, that reminds me, we had lunch um, with our marketing team this week. One of the things that we do is that we meet with one of our teams each month. Um, We rotate through them throughout the year, so we just stay connected. And one of our new team members on that team, we were kind of asking what they're loving about uh, their job as we run around the table at lunch. And he said the thing he loves the most is the connection to our mission that, you know, like he feels like the work that he's doing every day matters. And I thought, man, that's so easy as a leader to forget um, because it's kind of just the environment that we're swimming in. But for people who come in, that is so meaningful to them to feel like you get to spend your day doing something that has purpose is oftentimes far more motivating than the financial rewards of a job. Yeah, totally. And you know, when we say our purpose as an organization is to help overwhelmed high achievers win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence, for us, that's nowhere more important than our in our own organization. Right. We want our people to be able to do to do all three of those. Mm-hmm. So as a leader, you can create a culture of purpose by, first of all, articulating your company's purpose. Yeah. Or sometimes called a mission statement. And I just rattled off ours. But it's more than just something that, you know, we hang on a plaque in the in the lobby. First of all, we don't have a lobby, <laughs> at least yet. But, uh, it, you know, it's something that really guides our organization. We plaster it everywhere. We repeat it often. And it's important to shape the purpose of the organization and to shape that sense of purpose within our, our culture. Mm-hmm. But even beyond that, it's important to have a set of clearly defined core values. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the priorities as an organization that govern our behavior and our interactions with one another. So in our organization, for example, we have eight of these. Unyielding integrity, prioritizing people, infectious enthusiasm, high leverage, relentless wow, highly responsive, intentional margin, and continuous growth. Now, what's really important is that those values also don't just become something you hang on a wall, Mm -hmm. but that you flush them out, and we're in the process of this now, and we're about probably three quarters of the way done, translating those values into behaviors. So in other words, if those values aren't shaping your behaviors as an organization, and even more importantly, aren't reflective of your uh, behaviors as an organization. Meaning they can't be aspirational. It can't just be something you hope to become. That's right. 
They got to really reflect how you operate. Mm -hmm. If not, guess what happens? It creates cynicism. People roll their eyes and go, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't do any of that. So you've got to practice this. And when you fall short, like we've fallen short on uh, the intentional margin sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when we've asked people to work on weekends, something we abhor, then we got to acknowledge that. You know, that's in conflict with one of our uh, core values. Mm-hmm. So these have got to be able to, uh, we got to be able to translate these into behaviors so that they don't just become something we hang on the wall, something that uh, are that they become the tools with which we shape culture. Right. I, don't, I don't think anything more is more important than that. I, I call it the core ideology, mm-hmm. but having a purpose statement, a vision statement, which we've talked about in another episode, and then also having a clear set of core values. And I want to say this too. As leaders, it's easy to think that once we've defined this, you know, we've memorialized it, put it in a notebook, talked about it at an <laughs> annual meeting, then we're done. But I remember Andy Stanley saying, vision leaks. And I think all this core ideology stuff, whether it's purpose, vision, or core values, all of it leaks. And if you don't keep refilling the bucket as a leader and keep talking about it, mm-hmm. uh, during the recession... I had an executive coach who said to me, you got to keep talking about Mm -hmm. the purpose and the vision and the core values. And I said, I've already talked about that. I said, I'm sick and tired of talking about it. And she said, when you're sick and tired, you're about half done. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So I kept talking about it. It's a good way to calibrate how often you need to be talking about this stuff. I know. Because again, vision leaks. Yeah. And people are going to forget it. And particularly in in sort of the, the, the daily engagement of the battle. You know, things become very transactional, things lose their meaning, and they and people aren't connected to that bigger story. And that's yeah. our job as leaders to keep connecting them to that because that sense of purpose drives culture. Well, the other thing I was thinking about when you were talking is that not only do we have to have these values and communicate them to our team with great frequency, we also have to measure our own personal behavior against the values and constantly be truing that up. You know, that that's really important, probably the the most effective way that you can, um, you know, transmit culture and influence your team to come into alignment with the culture that you want to create is to live those things yourself. Totally. And if you notice that you're out of alignment, to call it out, um, to, you know, really bring it to the forefront, to even explain the why behind what you're doing and the behaviors that you have positively or negatively, that will help to transmit culture in a very effective way because it's infectious. Yes. You know, and I think you can really leverage uh, that attribute of culture as a leader um, that it's it's much an inside job as it is an outside job. Yeah. There's a sense in which it's almost like the incarnational principle of leadership. Yes. You know, that until these values become incarnate in us, yes. people don't have a visible representation of what it looks like and it's just not as compelling. All right, so today we've learned that you can create a great team culture by providing an environment that's highly relational, high candor, and high purpose. As we come in for a landing, I just want to remind you that culture matters. As the leader, you have the power to create a team culture that will help others deliver their best contribution and, in turn, amazing results. Dad, any final thoughts for today? Yeah, I think it comes back to us as leaders. If we want to change our culture, we have to change our behavior. And it goes back to that quote from Larry Bossidy, and I think it's absolutely true here. Or there's a quote that's often uh, attributed to Gandhi. I don't know if he actually said it or not, but become the change 
mm-hmm. want to see. Right. And so for us, if we want more integrity in our organization, if we want more positivity, if we want more collaboration, then we've got to make sure that we're demonstrating those things by our behavior. If we don't, it's not going to work. Dad, that reminds me of the episode we did just a few episodes back on the law of replication and leadership. Um, If you haven't listened to that, that's going to be well worth your time. All right, as we close, I want to thank our sponsor, Leaderbox. It provides automated personal development in a box. Check it out at leaderbox.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can get the show notes and a full transcript online at lead2.win. So if you've liked the show, we'd love for you to tell your friends and colleagues about it. And also, we'd love for you to leave a review for us. And we've made it super easy for you. All you have to do is go to michaelhyatt.com slash review it. That's michaelhyatt.com slash review it. This program is copyrighted by Michael Hyatt and Company. All rights reserved. Our producer is Nick Jaworski. Our writers are Joe Miller and Lawrence Wilson. Our recording engineer is Mike Burns. Our production assistant is Alicia Curry. And our intern is Winston. We invite you to join us next week when we're going to talk about the seemingly impossible task of managing high achievers. (laughs) Until then, lead to win. And so we do at WH. WH, where'd I get that? We have a new name. We have a new name. (laughs) 